Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, they're pretty good, aren't they? They're pretty awesome, yes. This um, series that we're in is uh, week two, and the whole series is called, it's called Classic Christmas. And so what we're doing all four weeks, the fourth week will culminate on Christmas Eve that we mentioned earlier, is taking a classic, classic Christmas song that traces its origins back to Old Testament prophecy. And so it's pretty neat. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, Pastor Cindy preached, and you can check it out on our YouTube channel or on Facebook. Today, I'm going to continue in that. The song that we're going to look at today is the song you just heard, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And so where's that come from? And then what's the implications for our lives? A man sleeping, he's sleeping very soundly on Christmas Eve, And all of a sudden, his wife yells, wake up, wake up, there's an intruder in the house. Well, they've been married 20 years, and this was pretty much the nightly routine. At some point, she was scared that someone came in. So he does what he always does is he's like, if I don't get up and check on it, this will never end. So he gets up that night, he walks out, and wouldn't you know, there actually is. There's a burglar in the house with a gun. And so... The guy starts to take off, to which the husband says, no, stop, stop. You need to come with me. You need to meet my wife. (laughs) And of course, the burglar's incredulous. He's like, what are you talking about? Why do I need to meet your wife? To which the husband replied, she's been expecting you for 20 years, (laughs) right? There's a lot of things we expect. By the way, if you don't like dad jokes, this church won't work for you, okay? It just is what it is. We don't, but we don't expect the thief to show up, show up at our house. We don't expect bad things to happen to us. We kind of feel that's probably for someone else down the row or another place. And I want to challenge you as we dive into the sermon today is that we need to maybe rethink our expectations, In fact, we all have expectations, whether you ever categorize them as expectations or not. Expectations actually wake us up for the most part in the morning, don't they? That we're going to get up, we're going to get out of bed, we're going to do something because of some expectation of something that's going to get done today. There's a lot of expectations brewing in houses of the ones that you just saw up here, aren't there? There's this expectation in about 10 days or so that there's going to be a tree with all, it's going to have stuff under it and everything they've asked for is going to show up, right? There's that expectation. There's expectations that drive every bride-to-be, aren't there? That expectation of that wedding day and what it's going to look like and that guy that's going to be at the front and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is if we, our expectations can get us in trouble too. Because sometimes our expectations don't line up with reality, One thing I've found over the years, if you're a Jesus follower here today, if you're watching us online and you're a Jesus follower, that sometimes we have this expectation that because we follow Christ, that bad things aren't going to happen to us, that we're not going to experience suffering, that we're not going to lose a job, we're not going to have some of the other things that other people think. And in fact, I think we almost feel like we're inoculated against bad things happening, right? Our expectation is, and then is different. And when those things do happen, it throws us for a massive curve. We sometimes don't even know how to handle it. And then we, we struggle and we, we question the faith and we question our faith or we question 
all kinds of things, right? And so I don't know how your expectations have gotten blown up in the last year. I jotted down a few that maybe fit you. Maybe you were divorced in the past year, maybe, or you're anticipating one right now. That expectation you had on your wedding day has changed in ways you never thought. The expectation, you didn't expect your business to fail. You didn't expect your business to suffer. Maybe it was a miscarriage. Maybe it was an illness that you just can't seem to get over or something your kid, an illness your child has that you can't seem to get the answers to. Maybe it's a job loss. It could be depression that you just can't shake. This anxiety that just seems to follow you everywhere. Maybe it was for so many of us out here, sickness or death in our family. Expectations that we did not prepare for, that have thrown us for a curve, that have really messed with our head. And we're here today. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're joining us today because your kid or grandchild was here, but you really don't want to be here because you're a little frustrated with God. You're not sure why all this is happening. You don't even know if he's listening anymore. It's like he's listening to everyone else in your life, but he's put you on mute. And so with that in mind, that's nice and warm and fuzzy to start the sermon, isn't it? <laughs> right? But it's the reality, right? Where these expectations might have gotten changed in so many different ways. We're going to walk into the text now that was the inspiration, if you will, for the song, A Little Town of Bethlehem. So we're going to be in Micah. Micah's in the Old Testament. Uh, Micah was a prophet. And we're going to be in Micah chapter 5. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to kind of go from there. It's on the screen behind me. Or if you're online, it'll be on, on the side or below me. It says this. He says, mobilize. Marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader with the fa- in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. So Micah is a prophet. A prophet would speak the words that God told him. He's from this town called Morith, which is about 25, 25 miles south of Jerusalem. But contextually, if you're hearing this message, if you're living, and this is, it would have been about 701 BC. So the year is 701 BC. You live in Jerusalem. Imagine this. And Micah stands up one day and says these words. But here's what's going on in 701 BC in Jerusalem. The Assyrian army has overtaken the city. In fact, before the Roman army, which was the strongest army of its day, the the strongest army before them was the Assyrians. The Assyrians were well-trained, they were well-funded, and they were absolutely ruthless. And so in the moment that these words are spoken, people are dying. People are losing family members. Houses are being burnt down. The temple where God's presence is, the same temple that Solomon built in all its splendor and all its glory is being ransacked. The walls are under attack. Everything you know is being turned upside down. Every expectation you had for your life and for your city and for your kid's life and all that is being blown up, literally. And then Micah says this. In the midst of all this, O Bethlehem, 
You're only a small village, yet a ruler is going to come. And it's like, what is he talking about? Dude, are you missing the point? Like, I don't care about the future. What in the world is happening now? It's interesting, this ruler he talks about. We learn a couple of things about him. We learn where he's, it's like we get his family tree. We get his location, where he's coming from and all this. And it seems like that last word, he comes from the distant past. It sure sounds like this guy comes from eternity. Could this be a little messianic? Maybe. Definitely, knowing what we know now. But again, put yourself in their shoes. Life has been thrown upside down. The thief has arrived in the form of the Assyrian army whose only job is to kill you, to torture you, and to absolutely destroy your city. And so he's saying that in this little town about five miles south of Jerusalem, in this little backwater town that no one knew, really knows about, that's definitely not on the map. I mean, you know how it is. If you had Google Maps, you still would even to this day, you got to keep expanding, expanding, right? These little towns, you know, Jerusalem would show up pretty fast, but you got to zoom in and zoom in. Oh, there it is. Really small place. No one of influence. If you went to Wikipedia, now I don't know. I haven't done it recently. Maybe you'd see Jesus as someone notable from there. That'd be good. Okay. But at the time, at the time in 701 BC, if they have Wikipedia and you go and, and type in Bethlehem, there will be no notable people. There won't even be much. There might even not be an entry on it. It was that outcast. But he says that there's a king coming. What in the world? So what's this king look like? Well, he gives us a little description in verse 4. He says, this king, this guy coming from distant past, he's going to stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. So what kind of rule, what's his rule, R-U-L-E, what's it going to look like? Well, we're told it's going to be like a shepherd. Interesting. Now, here's the question of the day. What does a shepherd look after? I mean, if, if only college wasn't that easy, I mean, how, how sweet would that have been, right? A shepherd looks after sheep. Now, here's what you need to know about she sheep, okay? Sheep, I'll be nice, are dumb. Well, that was not the night. I was going to say stupid. They're all bad. They're all words we tell our kids, quit hooking on each other, okay? They're dumb. They're not, they're not smart, in fact, if a sheep falls over, it will just die. It, won't get back, it can't get itself back up. It's helpless. It can't do anything on its own. But the other thing we know about a sheep is a sheep never worries about being fed. Sheep never worry about a lion or a bear or their enemy attacking them. Sheep never worried about are they going to be taken care of. Sheep never worry about their needs being met. Why is that? They trust their shepherd. And Mike is saying that this kind of leadership that this king is going to bring is going to be like a shepherd. He's going to look after. He's going to take care of. He's going to provide. Now, I don't know about you, but when uncertainty rears its head in my life, there's a lot of things I try to put certainty back into. Or even when uncertainty is not rearing its head, there's still a lot of things I look to for certainty. 
It might be my paycheck or my bank account. It might be my family. It might be my friends. It might be in my skill sets, right? There's so many different things that we put our certainties in. Here's the one I'm guilty of the most. Myself, right? Well, I can figure this out. Well, I've had this before. I'll make it happen again, right? But think about that. Whether, no matter where you are today as you're listening to me on the faith journey, how often does that work for you in the midst of uncertainty? How certain, how has, how has your bank account helped bring you more peace every day of every year? Or your friends or your family or even your spouse? And then how about yourself? <laughs> how often has that solved your uncertainty? He goes on then in verse 5, at the beginning of verse 5, and he says, And this shepherd and he will be the source of, and I want you to say this out loud and loudly, he will be the source of peace. We heard you online. Thank you. Now, the word peace here is the word shalom. A lot of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. Now, often we say, well, the word shalom means inner peace or spiritual peace. And that's actually just a fraction of what that word actually means in the Hebrew. The word shalom means that there's going to be completeness of peace, that there's going to be totality of peace. In fact, when you put the word in the context of how they used the word shalom back in 701 BC and how it still should be used today because the meaning hasn't changed, that completeness means things like it's going to mean the end of injustice. When this peace shows up and when the rule and reign of this shepherd appear, injustice can be solved. It means the rich will no longer devour the poor. It means all brokenness will be set right and healed. And it means that people would love one another. Now, again, remember the audience hearing this. The thief has arrived. Nothing in their life has changed. People are still dying. The Assyrians haven't been defeated by the Babylonians yet. The temple's still being ransacked. God's presence seems like it's not there. And he's prophesying and saying, there's going to be this shepherd one day who comes from this little backwater town. And he's going to take care of his sheep. And he's going to, when he shows up, you're going to experience peace. Now, interestingly enough, Micah tells, he's telling them that peace is not going to be found in a location. Peace is not going to be found in a place. It's not going to be found in a possession. It's not going to be found in a position. Peace is not going to be found in some destination. Peace is going to be found in a person. Now keep that in mind. We're going to fast forward now 700 years. There's a couple that we're going to look at that I think you'll relate to. Their lives were messy. Their hopes were being dashed. The uncertainty that they were living in was monumental. In fact, they had experienced what they thought was some promises in their life. And not only were their promises not 
coming to fruition, everything was just getting blown up. This young couple's names were Joseph and Mary. They lived in this town called Nazareth. Nazareth was 80 miles or so from Bethlehem. And they had some things going on in their lives, to say the least. Before we get to the thing maybe you are most aware of going on in their life, let's just put, tell, us, tell you a little bit about them. Uh, Joseph was probably 19. Mary's probably 14. They're in love. They're a young teenage couple. Most, like most of us, when you're young and all that, they didn't have any money. In fact, they're from a very poor area. They didn't have very much formal education. They're living in poverty. Their dreams and hopes and all that have been kind of squelched in some ways. But if that wasn't enough, Mary's pregnant. And she's going around telling people that God's the father. <laughs> and I'm sure, just like if someone were to say that in 2021, you would say they probably need some professional assistance, right? She's blaming God for her situation. To compound it, Joseph is not doing what would have been typical of distancing himself from her or even divorcing, which you know in the circles of friends, everyone would have been saying the same thing. Don't get all holier than thou around here. The same thing you and I would have been saying, he's the baby daddy, right? I mean, right? Come on now, right? If he's not sending her on her merry way, and he's not making a big deal about this. All right, I'll stop there, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Okay, he's the dad. And so it's a scandal upon all scandals. They're being ridiculed. They're being shamed. They, they, all the other things that were so uncertain and so not going their way haven't changed. They're still poor. They're still on their own. And now... It's a mess. Now, we think that's bad enough. But then there was this guy who lived 1,400 miles away. He was the emperor. He was the one who decided if you talked, if you walked, if you lived, if you died. And this guy had an incredibly big issue with pride, <laughs> to say the least. In fact, he had the Roman Senate of their day rename him Caesar Augustus. Or what's the big deal about that? Well, the word Caesar, I guess it's a title, means holy emperor. You think this guy was a little on his high horse? And so at this time, again, Mary and Joseph, all the things going on in their lives, he declares it's time for a census. And for the census, you need to return to your hometown. And the hometown for Joseph was Bethlehem. Hmm, Interesting. As I mentioned earlier, Bethlehem was 80 miles away. There was no Uber or Lyft. There, was no, there were no airplanes. There were no trains. There were no automobiles. This was going to be by foot, on foot. Now, also knowing that we always think the reason he did this census was he wanted to find out how many people were in his kingdom so he could tout and say, I have X number of million people. And that could have been part of his reason. But his biggest reason, the biggest reason the emperors or anyone in that day would order a census is that if you knew how many people were there, you could make sure that all of them paid their taxes. Thank you. Okay. Maybe you're here for a service or just, no, no, just kidding. Right. They're here. They pay your taxes and... It's how he recruited men for the military. So just think about what's going on in Mary and Joseph. They're like, 
if it couldn't get any worse, <laughs> we're going to have to pay taxes on a higher, and he's not going to just have you pay taxes. He's up in the rate, by the way, on money they don't have. Joseph might not even come back home. They might recruit him for the military. Oh, by the way, she's nine months pregnant. I don't think any lady in this room at nine months pregnant would want to walk 80 miles. Oh, by the way, it's not just 80 miles of flat stretch, which I still don't think you'd really want to do. This journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was notorious for being a horrible route. There, you had to go through the desert area, and then you had to go up these mountain passes that were so narrow and so rugged. There was no one coming before and cleaning out the brush. There was no one throwing gravel down, you know. And all that. It was an arduous journey, to say the least. She's nine months pregnant, and let's just be honest, guys... She's nine months pregnant, so your journey's not going to be any fun either. And then this happens. Now, usually when a pastor shares this verse, this is when it all gets exciting. This is what it's all about. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what it's all about. Well, I want you to think through the lens of Mary and Joseph right now. And it says this in Luke 2.6. And then the time came for the baby to be born. You see why they might think to themselves, uh, no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, we're not ready for this. Isn't this so much like life though? I don't care if it happened 2,000 years ago. Isn't it like your life? It's not just that one bad thing happens. It's not just that one uncertain thing happens. It's a second one at the same time. And why not? Let's throw a third one in here just to really get us off course. And then as soon as number two is resolved or number four shows up, right? You know, one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true, and I could go on for an hour, but I'm not going to do that. But one of the foundational reasons I believe the Bible is true is it doesn't clean it all up. If it said that every single person in the Bible, never, they never shared their failings, they never shared their sin, they never talked about their hardships, they never talked about the mess, they never, it never addressed their doubts, I would be like, dude, that is not me. I am, wow, I can't live up to that. I can never make that happen. I'm a failure. Shut it and just go on and live with my life and try to figure it out. The Bible doesn't do that because the Bible's true. It's real. The good, the bad, the ugly. And right now, church, Mary and Joseph got a whole lot of ugly going on. A whole bucket full of ugly. A whole, they would say probably a whole house full of ugly going on. And so the verse that we always just stop and say, okay, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Mary and Joseph are saying, no, I don't see anything getting better in my life. I don't see Micah's, Micah 5 coming to fruition for me. That he's. The, I don't see Isaiah 7. I don't see this. You think they might have been asking the question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Hey, God, have you forgotten about us? I think they were. And then let's look at Luke 1, 30 through 33. It says this, But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, they had this incredible promise from God. They had this promise from God himself that they would bring the Messiah, this long-awaited, this shepherd into the world. But yet, while they had this incredible promise from God, everything is going wrong. You're not the first person in history. This is the hope part right now. You're not the first person in human history to have everything going wrong. You're not the first person to go through trial. We sometimes, again, think, as, if you're a follower of Christ here today, that we're inoculated against hardship, against trials, against things. That's not scriptural. But here's what is scriptural, and here's the good news today. You and I have a promise from God. And in the midst of everything that's going wrong, we're told this, that the promise was fulfilled. In the midst of everything going wrong, it says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. See, the promise had arrived in the midst of all the mess. The promise had arrived in the midst of everything not working out. The promise had arrived when they didn't think God was even aware anymore. And so if I were to summarize and put all this together, here's my bottom line statement. You'll see it today. It says, when everything goes wrong, when everything goes wrong, God might just be birthing his promise. Something incredible in and through your life. You might be here today and not even have ever thought about that. Your health is struggling. You've lost loved ones. Your job is teetering. You've gone through a divorce. You might, as if things will change, will go, you know, it's not looking good for this year. You can't beat this depression. You can't Get victory over this anxiety. Here's what I want you to know today. God's promises haven't changed for you. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same tomorrow. His promise is that he'll never leave you. He'll never turn his back or the Bible word is forsake you. He wants to instill his dreams into your life. He wants to give you a hope and a future. If, honestly, if you look at so many of the verses we use in isolation, the context like that one I just said of Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, for plans to give you hope and a future. They're in exile. <laughs> the ones hearing that, they ripped away from their house. Every time these promises, if we look at where they are, God gives us these promises to people who are hurting. Because he needs that little nudge of reminder. Don't we need that? Don't you? Maybe you need that today. He hasn't forgotten about you. Luke 2, 10 through 11 says this, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy to all the people today in the town of David which was Bethlehem, same place where David, the greatest king ever, before Jesus came, has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Did you catch all the promises? Keep that up there for me. Look at all the promises here. The promise is that 
I'm sending him. We celebrate his Christmas, but the promise is that what he said back in Micah 5 that I started with today, God fulfilled the promise. One for one. The promise is that he's going to send someone to help with this remedy of sin we have in our life. The word savior, two for two. By the way, you ever notice that God didn't send a politician? He didn't send a surgeon. He didn't send an educator. He didn't send anything else. What did he send? Why would he send a savior? Because he's God and he knows that we needed that. The only thing that can save you and I from the sin and from everything else that takes us out is a savior. So start looking at the savior. He also, we see in this promise and we see as I looked at Mary and Joseph, the other promise is he just uses good ordinary people. People that might not have all the financial resources, people from a town that people have to zoom in, they even find it. Young teenagers who are going through a really tough part of life, but have said, as Mary said, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. So God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. See, that promise is a good reminder to me that he doesn't just use those who are the smartest or who have the most money who have the most power, who have the most influence. He just uses people who are available. People who lean in and say, God, you know what? I only get one life. I want the count. I want the count. I want to make a difference. I want you, God, to use my life so your kingdom can come. God's kingdom is the rule and reign in the hearts of people, by the way. We're going through this season in our home right now of nightmares. It's wonderful. And I told Jess, my wife, the other day, I said, you know, I literally can't remember the last night that I think I slept through the night. It's just that season, you know, you with parents, grandparents, you remember that. You remember when you're out cold, I mean, you were in such deep sleep, but yet you have this sense that there's maybe not a thief in the house, but there's people eye level to you next to you. Or like the other night when I was having this dream about someone tapping my toe. What a weird dream to have. Until I woke up and realized there were two people tapping my toes. Saying, Dad, Zalamay's having a nightmare. Or Dad, Dylan's scared of the storms. And so what do you do? And I just happen to be on the side of the bed that's closest to the door, so I win that prize, typically. Well, what's dad do? He said, okay, let's go back upstairs. So I walk him back upstairs, right? And you're talking to him as you go up, you know, hey, you're safe in this house. We're going to protect you. And you put him in bed. And you pull the covers back up. And, and one of the coolest things... Don't you see that this peace just comes over them? It's one of the coolest things for me as a dad. I don't prefer to wake up every night in the middle of the night, but you see it from their head. It starts in their head. You just see, they close their eyes. Sometimes they even do. They exhale and you just see peace come flooding over them. They live in certainty, don't they? They live in certainty that their mom and dad are going to protect them. 
They live in certainty that we have their best interest at mind. They live in certainty that it, we're a secure, safe place. Do you look at your heavenly father that way? Is he your good shepherd? When you invite him into your life, do you experience that peace? Do you know, do you know, do you know that he wants to take care of you? He wants to pick you up when you fall down. He wants to pick you up sometimes and carry you when you can't do it yourself. He wants to fulfill every promise because he's a good, good dad. We can live in the certainty to know that shalom is not a position. It's not a place. It's not in possessions. It's a person. Have you leaned into that person? Because one thing I know, and I don't know everything going on in your lives, nor do I need to, but I would venture to say that there's some of us today struggling with uncertainty. There's some of us who have been praying prayers for healing and we're not seeing it. There's people, there's some of us today that there's more month than there is bank account. There's some of us today that are just so restless and we're so anxious Would you go to the shepherd? Would you go to the one who is the source of all peace? Would you invite him into your life? Keep holding on to that promise. Don't forget that. Hold on to the promises of God. Maybe you need to write them down this week. Maybe you just need to write the word promise somewhere. Promises, promises, promises. And allow him to renew your mind, allow him to speak to your heart that he's the God of promise. Would you pray with me? And as before we go into prayer, what I want you to do where you're seated is, if you would, would you just put your hands, the palms of your hands facing up, but I want you then to make a fist. Two fists if you need to. And same with those watching us online. And right now, what's in these fists are the things that are causing you uncertainty. They're the pain, there's the trials, there's the unanswered prayers, there's the, the hurt, there's the guilt, there's the shame, whatever it might be. And as I'm praying today, and I'm not going to tell you when, you just do it, but I want at some point, I would encourage you, I would implore you, to at some point, just open up your hands and release that. Because when we release that, it allows us to receive that. And you would receive the good shepherd into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as the fulfillment of, of prophecy, as the one who in the midst of a city under siege, Micah comes and says, there's going to be a Messiah coming out of this backwater town who's going to change the world. He's going to change it not by his power, not by his might, not by his authority, but because he's a good shepherd and, and out of him is going to come peace. That's how he's going to change. Out of him is going to come everything that this world needs 
for his kingdom to rule and expand. And God, as we look at Mary and Joseph, ones who are following after you and things got messier and messier and more upside down, we realize that in their encounter, you're the God of the promise. And so God, I, today we just release that to you. God, we receive. We quit. We, we're going to say we're going to quit holding on. Some of us need to just release our entire life over to you. We've never given you control of our life. We've never allowed your lordship or your leadership to come in. We've never taken the opportunity to receive you as a savior for our sins. I pray if that's you today, you would do that. For others of us, God, I pray that we would just invite the good shepherd in, the one who just takes care of his flock, the one who will feed us, the one who will nurture us, the one who will carry us, the one who will protect us. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. God, we thank you for your word that will never return void. And our prayer is today that we never forget the God of the promise. We pray that in his name. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.